Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. Observe the difference between your attitude to illusions and mine. You have to defend the religious illusion with all your might. If it becomes discredited, and indeed, the threat to it is great enough, then your world collapses. There's nothing left for you but to despair of everything, of civilization, and of the future of mankind. From that bondage, I am, we are, free. Since we are prepared to renounce a good part of our infantile wishes, we can bear it if a few of our expectations turn out to be illusions. Religious doctrines are all illusions. They do not admit of proof, and no one can be compelled to consider them as true or to believe in them. Illusions, fulfillments of the oldest, strongest, and most urgent wishes of mankind, we disregard its relation to reality just as the illusion itself sets no store by verification. That's a quote from Sigmund Freud from his work titled The Future of an Illusion. I wanted to open with this quote before we asked the question, is heaven nothing but wish fulfillment and an illusion of the oldest, strongest, and most urgent wish of mankind, to quote Sigmund Freud. Is, is the idea of heaven, do we believe in Jesus, do we follow a God because we're too afraid to die? Because death smiles at all men, and all a man can do is smile back, is what Marcus Aurelius said, as some of you may recognize from the greatest movie ever made in all of history, Gladiator. Uh, you're welcome to disagree and be wrong, but that's a fact and you will not convince me otherwise. Like, seriously, though, it's, it's the best movie ever. Um, but all joking aside, today's May 19th, 2023. I don't find myself sincerely and deeply admiring many pastors in this world, at least definitely not many pastors who are still alive in this world. Um, but one of those men, one of the very, very few that I have deeply admired because he has challenged and really taught me to ask the proper questions and to be a skeptic through his writings. I've never met him, uh, but his name is Pastor Timothy Keller, and he was pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, and today, this morning, he passed away. And this question was a somewhat favorite <laughs> of his, if you're ever familiar with his writings, particularly his most famous writing, The Reason for God, in which he says, the biblical view of things is a resurrection, not a future that is just consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you always wanted. And he makes the same argument that C.S. Lewis makes, and, and I want to get into both of these and Freud's side of the argument, as well as Lewis's and Keller's side of the argument, that heaven is not wish fulfillment, that well, we'll get to it in a minute, but this one's in honor of Tim. For anyone listening, I deeply, deeply encourage you to check out anything Tim Keller has written or to look him up on YouTube and uh, listen to any sermon he's preached. And don't believe it, but rather 
reel in the questions he asks, reel in the logic and the reason he uses, and consider for yourself, because that's always the attitude I took when reading his works, and definitely uh, a major influence on myself, my skepticism, and driver behind this show. So without further ado, let's get into it. Heaven is a nice thought, right? And, and that's kind of where Freud's coming from on this, especially in our American day and age. It's, it's an interesting day for me, and my thoughts are going to be a little bit raw because I had a, a friend, and, and albeit not a close friend, but, but a friend I saw on a consistent basis, actually, um, maybe even more consistent than some of my close friends, but I had a friend overdose last night and pass away and woke up to the news of his death as well. My Christian beliefs would incline me to the suspicion that he is not in heaven, though I cannot confirm, for I am not the judge, just like I can't confirm Tim Keller is in heaven, though I am very much inclined to believe that Tim Keller is indeed in heaven by the life he lived and the words he preached. But nevertheless, I'm not the judge. However, my inclinations based upon my Christian beliefs and suppositions, not presuppositions, and let me clarify that, right, but but post-suppositions that I bring into the reality and the light of today's events uh, have brought this question kind of to the forefront. And then I... Uh, just hung out and spoke with a friend uh, who's uh, been on the show before, actually, Brandon, all the way from season one, if you guys remember him, but uh, still, he's still not a Christian, uh, but we still hang out and we're still great friends. And we were talking about this. We were talking about heaven and hell and what it all means and, and what it means to serve a God and to worship a God and who is God and what's the serpent and the devil. And and uh, we, we were talking, we started our conversation with Faust uh, by Van Gutha. Uh, if I said that right, if I didn't, please forgive me, I'm not German. Um, but, but it's this idea, right? And, and it's funny because so much of life is an idea. So much of civilization is an idea that hasn't actually happened yet, right? Like, like every civilization seeks to be something good in the world, seeks to be, to be a place of refuge, to be a place of, of utopia. And maybe utopia is not the right word anymore, but it certainly was a hundred years ago. And it's like, there's Tim Keller's idea that there's something to be said about the kind of place that we all long to be in because none of us are ever actually there. It doesn't matter if, if you live on a mountain and you long to be on the beach and you move to the beach and you get there and then you realize this isn't paradise. <laughs> or or vice versa, right? You live on a beach and you long to be in a mountain and you get there and you realize this isn't paradise. Mosquito bites hurt. And the politics suck and the people suck and the neighbors suck and the crime sucks and the whatever. It's not paradise. There's a home that we long for that we've never known. And maybe it's evolutionary progress, right? Like, Like maybe it is the thing built into us that makes us continue to progress and continue to survive as a species. And, and certainly maybe there's a need for that because maybe the earth and the environment is deteriorating and maybe we only have 50 years left before we need to colonize another planet. And it's like, well, holy crap, we need to innovate so we can go colonize another planet because the environment is collapsing in around us. And maybe that's the case, but, but even if it is, what's driving that? Because 
really the earth is way more powerful than us anyway, so why doesn't the earth and the environment and the climate just change and kill us all? Like, like that seems proper in an evolutionary perspective, but it doesn't sit well with us, even though it should. If it's the cold, hard fact of evolution, it should sit with us just fine. And you should eat, drink, be merry, take what you can take, and give nothing back today, to quote Jack Sparrow, um, <laughs> and and live your life and be okay with it. And when someone dies, they'd stop existing, and, and, and therefore their love stops existing, and, and love is not an eternal truth. And you should be okay with that, because... Well, hold on. I see a flaw there. No, you can't be okay with that logically. And and forgive me because I'm kind of just it's kind of just a raw episode. I'm kind of just fleshing fleshing out some thoughts here with you guys. But but you can't be okay with that. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Freud. Because if there's no heaven and there's no hell and there's nothing else after this earth and everything you do is ultimately meaningless and your love doesn't last and your integrity doesn't last and the value system and morals you live by don't actually last because there's no heaven, there's no there's no weight of eternal glory to quote C.S. Lewis on the other side of this thing we call life that we ultimately enter into when we're in death and then that weight that weight crushes us and if there's no one to bear the weight, if there's no, no sacrificial lamb, no savior on a cross to bear the weight, then it just crushes us forever and we're sent to hell and if there's none of that that exists isn't that wish fulfillment like like track with me here like this is this is the aldous huxley uh uh conundrum that he faced right in before his overdose of lsd where it's like aldous huxley admitted i don't i don't believe in god because it lets me do whatever i want he, he admitted that in his memoirs right and i'm not quoting i'm paraphrasing but aldous huxley was another great great writer right up there with tolstoy and and um but he wanted to do what he wanted, and so therefore it was easier to not believe in God or heaven or hell. Isn't that wish fulfillment? And, and Okay, so, so now we're stuck here between two realities that are ultimately kind of weird, because it's like heaven is wish fulfillment for the religious person, but also nothing is wish fulfillment for the non-religious person, because, because if I have nothing, if I have no point, no meaning in life, and I don't know, maybe I can be a good person, and maybe people will like me and... and fair enough. Maybe I'll have some friends and that'll give me some meaning here on this earth and, and, and I'll feel like I'm doing something, right? Because that's ultimately what being a good person kind of is, where it's like, I'm a good person, so I'm better than a bad person. And if you're a bad person, and if you do something really, really gross and bad and sinful, like molest someone or sexually abuse them or, or you know, worse, right? Like something gross and icky, I'm better than you because I'm a good person. And people like me because I'm a good person. And so maybe there's no heaven or hell after this. But I certainly want to live in a heavenly or heavenward place. Not a, I don't want my life to be a living hell, as the phrase goes, right? I want my life to be a living heaven. And what does that mean? Well, the biblical idea of heaven is the presence of God. The presence of the one who is the fullness of joy. The one who is the Prince of Peace, and in his presence is perfect peace. That there's perfect belonging, right? Because if we follow the biblical narrative out, it's this idea of family, and not the stupid Fast and Furious type family that transcends the law of physics, but the type of family that transcends the law. The type of family that, that the Father would come and fulfill the law, so that we could be adopted as sons, not sons and daughters, because this is a Middle Eastern culture where sons have more right to an inheritance than daughters. But men and women could be adopted as sons 
men and women having equal inheritance, equal and prioritized inheritance because of the death on the cross and the resurrection, which is interesting because Tim Keller prefaces anything, any talk about heaven with a resurrection, not just heaven, right? Freud doesn't preface anything with a resurrection. And so it's like, well, why not, Freud? Are you too afraid to dress a resurrection? And I wish I could ask him that, but he's dead, so I'll just try to find the best argument. And maybe, maybe Freud is afraid of a resurrection. Maybe it's if you ignore the resurrection, because that's kind of weird, and you just talk about heaven, you can you can kind of square peg, round hole, shoehorn your way into this idea that heaven is more wish fulfillment than not having heaven as wish fulfillment, because they're both wish fulfillment. No heaven fulfills the wish that I get to do whatever I want. No heaven fulfills the wish that my feelings are the ultimate guide to my life. No heaven fulfills the wish that I can either live a progressive individualistic life or a traditional communal life. A resurrection is something in between and not either of those. Right, because so 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 you may be thinking, if you came from Texas or anywhere that is more southern or conservative, likey in their churches, like you may be thinking, like okay, if I believe in heaven, if I believe in Jesus, I have to submit my worldview and my life to some sort of weird traditional understanding of the world. But we're progressives and we're modern and we're individualistic, and how you feel ultimately trumps what you do and what community you're a part of, because you can always go find another community. Another community of like-feeling people, and you can say like-minded, but has anyone ever actually made up their mind like fully in life? You know, I don't know that I have, so I find it hard to believe that other, pe- other people have too. So you can say like-minded, but really it's like-feeling in the moment. So you can go be part of another like-feeling type community, but as long as you're true to yourself, that's the highest virtue. And I don't want a religion that makes me not be true to myself. On the other hand, if you come from a more a liberal community, a liberal Christian community, and you're faced with this, but you want to go serve a higher community and be a part of something bigger than yourself, and you see this this thing where salvation is individualized, where Jesus dies for the individual, names the individual by name, and you say, I don't want to join this religion because I don't want to forsake my group, my community, my family, whatever it is, which is most of the world. Most of the non-Western world is more communal-based and, and then individualistic-based, right? Either way, you're saying there's no heaven, there's no hell, it's an illusion, it's wish fulfillment, but the very fact of you saying that is you fulfilling your wish. So we have a problem here, right? We have something breaking, or at least getting very close to breaking, Aristotle's law of excluded middle in his first principles of logic. It's not quite breaking the law of non-contradiction, right? Because the, well, it almost is. <laughs> Just like it's almost breaking the law of excluded middle, right? Because because it's like those things are in so much intention that they're almost contradicting each other, but they're not because they're, they're both kind of true at the same time that, that yes, to most religious people and most religious cultures and most religious parts of the world, heaven is wish fulfillment. I agree with Freud. But Freud's statement that there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no God and ultimate truth is also wish fulfillment. The thing that breaks, it's the resurrection, though. Like, it has to be. You know? Bono, the lead singer of U2, once said, and I'm going to paraphrase and not quote, so please forgive me. And forgive me for the one piece of language that's in this quote, so if your ears are more sensitive, please plug them now. 
He said the fact that the hand that created the stars and the heavens and the earth, that that God would come down and be born in one of the worst times in one of the worst cities in the middle of shit and straw has got to be one of the most poetic and artistic things that could and should ever happen in the universe. And that all art and poetry and song and dance and word should take its inspiration and point back to the God who would be born among shit and straw. And if there's no heaven and no hell, there is no love. Everything and everyone you ever loved doesn't really matter, and love doesn't last. And so Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis's argument is, really C.S. Lewis's argument that Tim Keller uh, brings into a modern audience so wonderfully, is if you have a longing for another world, a world where love lasts, a world not only where you can know God, but you're known by God. Right, C.S. Lewis writes that in The Chronicles of Narnia. I forget which book, but one of the characters asks, do you know Aslan? And he says, no, but I'm known by Aslan. And it's kind of this idea, right, where it's like, like you don't know God. You can't follow God. You're not perfect. You, you'll never be good enough to get to heaven. But you can be known by the God of heaven. And that's what Jesus said. He said on that judgment day, there's going to be a lot of people that stand before him and say, I knew you. I did the religious works. I knew you. I prayed. I was spiritual. And he's going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. So depart from me to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the relationship that Christianity requires us to have with Jesus, the Messiah. It's that relationship that is the longing of our souls. And if our longings to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, and have it last, we're not made for this earth because nothing lasts. Everyone you know and everyone that knows you will die. They won't last. Everyone you love and everyone that loves you will die. It won't last. And it's not going to save you. It's not going to be that thing that justifies your existence, gives you meaning in life and, and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Because even if, if they don't die, they'll leave you or, or you'll die. And that love won't save you or sustain you or bring you into eternity. I think we're made for another world. I think that's the only thing that makes sense. But it's not wish fulfillment. Because if it was wish fulfillment, I could say, be good enough and you'll get there. Be an overall good person. Yeah, you'll make a few mistakes, but as long as you make 51% of your life is good and 49% of your life is mistake, you'll get there. And that's not true because if 1% or 0.0001% of your life is bad, you're, you're screwed. You're doomed. And that's not wish fulfillment. Wish fulfillment says I can get there on my own and I can be better than the people that aren't there. But the gospel is that you deserve to be not there no matter who you are and no matter what you've done if any portion of your thoughts was ever sinful. But Jesus did. And then he rose from the grave. And so if the creator of the world being born among, again, to quote Bono from U2, shit and straw is the most poetic thing in the world, then that same creator who, was, who created and then was born in a manger if he came to become sin, though he knew no sin, 
for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, then there is no greater act of love in the world. But it's a hard pill to swallow. It's not an easy one because it says you're not enough. You are better than nobody. And let that sink in. Nobody. Think of the worst person you can think of. You're not better. But you're worse than nobody. Think of the best person you can think of. You're not worse. And it's humbling and encouraging at the same time. And isn't that what we want? Like, like think about something that holds part of your identity. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's you play music. Maybe it's you write. Maybe it's you paint. Maybe it's, it's you dance or you act or you work on cars or, or whatever. Someone says, wow, that's really good. That's better than most at this thing. You have confidence. You have security in that part of your identity. When someone says you suck at that, or you get a bad performance review, you're humbled. And Tim Keller talks about this, so I do steal this from him. But the resurrection of Christ is an identity that both gives you the confidence and assurance of heaven and humbles you before you get there so that you're the right kind of person to enter heaven, the kind of person that has been justified by the death of Christ and empowered by the resurrection of Christ. And look, there's a lot of arguments, and I encourage you guys to go look at them, but there's a lot of arguments about the historical validity of the resurrection. And that's the interesting thing, right, is it's like, with other religions, you have to talk about heaven and why it's real. With Christianity, you really just have to talk about the resurrection. Because if the resurrection's real, then Christ rose from the grave, and he is alive, because he did not die again. And one day we will too. And where are we going to go? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Heaven, right? But what, what does that even mean? I don't know. Because the Bible says that we're going to be back on earth and it'll be restored and redeemed and, and it'll be just like the scene in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? All the colors will be, will be truer. Like, like what we see now is, is a, a vague representation of what the colors actually look like. All the sounds will sound truer. All the smells will smell truer and more real than they are right now, right? The taste, the touch, everything will be more real. And we'll look back on, on where we are now and say, man, that was just a shadow world and things were so not real there. So yeah, I guess heaven is wish fulfillment, but so is not heaven. What are you wishing for? Does it matter? I don't know. Figure it out. Figure out what, what you're wishing for. But then also ask what's actually true and what makes sense. And, and well, for crying out loud, like Jesus went around claiming to be Messiah knowing it would get him killed. He got killed, a poor podunk carpenter born in shit and straw. And if he rose from the grave, then that's, that's it. Heaven is real, and there's one way to get there. And if he didn't, well, then who knows? <laughs> Heaven may or may not be real. But dang, that event that supposedly happened, the resurrection of Christ, sure did turn the world upside down after that. Look into it. We're out of time on this episode, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And if it happened, and if you come to that conclusion that I did, that it did happen, heaven is about a person. Heaven is being with a person, the one who rose from the dead. All other major faiths have founders who are teachers that show the way to salvation. 
Only Jesus claimed to actually be the way of salvation himself. It's a quote from Timothy Keller from the book Reason for God, Belief in the Age of Skepticism. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show. 